Tim, Meredith, and Stevie. All of Guy America Nation would like to say congratulations on your engagement. Uh, it is normal and routine, and in fact, the most common experience for people to uh, just have a weird hallucination that makes it all work again. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. Uh, we are going to be chatting with the one and only Scott Adams uh, a little bit later. I uh, wrote a couple great books, How to Fail at Everything, Almost Everything and Still Win Big, uh, Win Bigly. Of course, he wrote Dilbert, created Dilbert. We're going to chat with him about all sorts of great stuff. It's a fun one. For that, we got the one and only, Graham, my elbow sore Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Oh. You going to be okay over there? Uh, I'm doing good. Yeah, we can talk about that in a bit. I did want to mention a couple things you've about been, Scott. You've been waiting to bitch all day. I to, have been, <laughs> I'm exhausted. Seriously. Yeah. I'm exhausted. But I did want to thank Scott for coming on the show. He's probably our most mainstream guest we've had, like in that regard. You probably, know, we don't yeah. have, we don't have a lot of guests that have been sort of get followed by the mainstream news and stuff. So it, we appreciate him coming on, spending time with us here. Yeah. I've been listening to his coffee chat. He's all, he's doing that daily, which is awesome, in the podcast format, which is super handy for me because I can't do the Periscope thing or the YouTube thing or anything like that. So and it's pretty good, man. He Just gives he gives people too. a real good, you know, impartial look at everything. You know, it's very interesting. I don't agree with everything he says. He uh, some some things I you yeah, should never agree you know? with everything somebody says. That's a good point. But somebody like Scott, it's hard. It's hard to not agree with him. He's so he's pretty logical in a lot of things. You know, it's that whole you. persuading. He's persuading. He's persuading yeah, you, you because, fucking putts. Because <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's it's been good. I mean, it was a great chat with him. Yeah, it was and, a great uh, one. I think everyone will like it. Hopefully, all you all alt right haters don't label it and don't listen to it. We already had some mud slinging going on before we even did the show, but there's nothing like that, and it's just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, it's honestly ridiculous. Listen to the show, enjoy it, put your fucking biases on the side. It's a great chat. Yep. All right, right on. Good stuff. And of course, you can skip ahead. Go oh, check out the timestamp in the show notes if you don't want to listen to our bullshit. That's right. We do a little intro here where we share some listener emails and some feedback and our own little stories and stuff like that, but you don't have to stick around. And then we beg for some money as well. That's right. So without further ado, let's listen to Grab's oh, bullshit. Here you go. What? What is this? A new jingle? <clears throat> what is that? It's a drum roll. Oh, you know what? I don't. What are you doing? I, just, I have the Graham rant jingle That's too, okay. and I don't have it on here. I'm not ranting. I'm just just crying. Complaining. Is this one better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just finished a big move, and it's just oh. I, next time I'm hiring movers. I'm never gonna do it again. A big move. My, you moved. Two I put doors my girlfriend down. through hell. Yeah, it's worse moving two doors down because then you walk everything over. Like I had your truck once, loaded the back of it. I'm like, okay, we're gonna take truck. There's no parking, so I just go. Whoop, around the corner, like literally like 50 feet. And then I look back and I'm like, though, that's what I'm doing. Just driving the truck around the corner, 50 feet, then unloading it and walking it the rest of the way. Oh, I must've done 10,000 steps. Like the calves are burning. Did you get a dolly? <clears throat> you want a calf shot? 
I don't want a calf shot. No, I'm sure everyone else. I got it. I shot. had dollies and everything. I had all. The, I had a, I had a wheelie thing and a, and a dolly. It's it only helps so much. Stairs up, stairs down. It's a lot of stairs. Yeah. Thank God for my girlfriend's son that helped fucking, me. He's he's a big bodybuilder guy. So he's, he's just a big like, bodybuilder he, guy. <laughs> what? He is. Okay. So it was um, big help. I mean, we had to. You know, one of those ones where oh, you push the. I've moved things with you. I know yeah. how fucking how painful you know, about, it is. Up balconies instead of through the stairwells and it's stuff like, like that. All of your all of your exercise skill have not prepared you for for manual labor in any shape or form. You'd think you'd be good at it. I you was know? good at You're it. Fit. I was. You should have seen me working oh, all day, all night. Buddy, of course, I'm you good at last it. Fucking, you wouldn't last a week in the field. Oh you'd come be on! Done. You'd walk off the site. Be done. I used to do p pretty physical labor, and I used to roll ceilings out, like when I had my <laughs> painting company. What? You think that's easy? Word in that I had a what? What's the key word in that sentence? Used to for used one, to. and painting a ceiling is being manual labor. I had yet. two foot rollers, man. Wow. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I had and ripped forearms. Plus, my forearms plus you have were to ripped. Add the weight of the paint. Exactly. <laughs> I had ripped forearms. I had a whole stuff uh, all, all through I'm the house. I'm surprised you and, made it. I used to walk I'm on stilts. You lived through that. I used to walk on stilts throughout <laughs> so the walls. Like yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't have to go up and down ladders. Jeez. He had it rough. I was, rough yeah. It's, Sorry, it was Ryan, pretty dangerous, actually. It sounds dangerous. Now that I <laughs> 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 uh, so, what do you want to do? Uh, are I you done some, bitching? I'm done bitching. Yeah, whatever. I'm just saying. You're just saying. That's all that? I mean, wait, it's anticlimactic. I'll what do you, you want like, me to say? say what do you want show. me to say? You'd start bitching about moving a little bit, and then like, I'm going to save it for the show. But everything you told me, you already told me. Or you'd have some like some nuggets or something falling down the stairs, or uh, you got peed on. Yeah, a cat <laughs> peed on me last night. It was one of the first nights in the new place. <laughs> That's Put it this way: it's a smaller place. We're saving a ton of money per month, so it's it's a good. It's a like we're scaling down a little bit, trying to simplify things. This is why we need support. You know. No, but I mean, it's it's just the way it has to be. So that's good. It's it's all it's gonna be good once we get. Thank you for your storing some stuff here yeah. in the garage. No sweat. A bit of a yeah. I found all that old paperwork. That's kind of bonus. What old paperwork? Oh yeah, that's right. The story, yeah. the game you made up. Yeah. Really? We're gonna put a copy of that someplace. See, we should sell it. I bought. I, found, I kept all my Rebranded old tapes. Rebranded as Grimerica Wrestles. I kept my old tapes and CDs too. I got those. Sell got it those. on eBay. Then we'll have the original manuscript. See, when you keep stuff that long, you don't want to get rid of it because you've already kept it for 25, 30 years. So you're thinking eventually this has to be. This more is how fucking right? hoarders get started. Right? Yeah. They're usually Does it make sense? Your age too, where they just can't. Can I shit. persuade you that my old CDs will be worth something someday? No. I found a Soundgarden CD that. That people hardly know of. That was a, was a in the late '80s. They came out with uh, "Louder Than Love." I found like the original CD before Soundgarden was. So just text me the songs and I'll download them. It's not the same. Okay. I was thinking you, you of songs, a, but there's a bunch of inappropriate fucking, ones that went through my not, head that I don't want to say on the show. It's not fucking vinyl. If we were talking vinyl, I might give you some credit that it's not the same. Yeah, I know. But a CD's playing a digital file. What about tapes? Cassette tapes. Are I have shit. a lot of those, too. They're I mean, shit. Yeah, 80, 80s hairband tapes and stuff. Do you know how many fucking 80s hairband tapes there are scattered across North America? They're not going to be worth something someday? Hundreds of fucking millions. As soon as I get rid of them, they're going to all of a sudden get popular and they're going to be worth something. I mean, no how chance. do you... No chance. I'm sorry. 
So you, you know just what? throw them I away? What do you do with that stuff? I saved all these hockey cards and baseball cards and everything else. I got my and hockey cards like, too. <laughs> these are worth like 50 bucks, you fucking smuck. <laughs> and he's like, it's just because there, it was of that era where everybody was getting fucking cards. I remember you were no, all No, mine were before that. You thought mine you were going to have thousands. I got Gretzky rookie I cards. I have like 24 Gretzky cards and they're still not worth anything. Yeah. But they're not rookie. They're the second year ones. I always thought they were rookie until I... Took him in to get him appraised or whatever. Yeah, like, fuck, these suck. Yeah. Pretty much. So, but hang on. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Well, my buddy sold his D&D stuff. Now he regrets it, right? From like He had a whole bunch of, we had all that stuff from the kids, and I was telling him, don't sell it when we were kids. And he sold it like 10 years ago. Now he's, he's he regrets it. So I don't want to regret. What if I sell all my, ta- or what would you do with you the with throw, cassette tapes? Throw, throw them the away? Landfill. Just really? Yeah. And then what if you know there's a big resurgence in cassette tapes and everybody's buying them for like They're not ten bucks each Bitcoin. or twenty bucks each or something? Oh my god. <laughs> well, you're right. I can't argue with that. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and try and convince you. If okay. you want to haul your fucking cassette <laughs> tapes around for that, till you die, then that's your you're fucking fifty years old. You can't be hauling these things I know, around. I know. I'll you gotta I'll fucking cut that loose. I have all, like, there's just stuff, right? You need to keep some stuff. And the next day I'm going to send you an Onion article that says cassette tapes are making a comeback and you're going to be down at the (laughs) landfill fucking digging for them. I like it. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the grind. That is one of the best jingles, isn't it? I have an email to read that, that that's the title of it. I guess it's stuck in people's heads. That one has to grow on you. A lot of people don't like that jingle, but it, it'll grow on you. Yeah. Okay. Go for it. You want to start with the email? Oh, Might sure. as well. Sure. Song just played. You've already ruined the rhythm. What do you mean? Okay. You wouldn't understand. So, bingo, bango, please don't mention my company. My name is fine. So, it is nice when we get emails to, if you don't want me to say your name, please say so. Or don't even you. put your name in it. Well, I finally took the time name. to reach out and say thanks. The guilt is eating at me. I'm on my second run through your podcast and still haven't contributed. I've gone from living on the street to having a deadly job, salary, etc., and being totally content inside. I will send you some money soon. You guys are the bomb. And the fact that you're just down the road gets me even more excited that like-minded people are close by. So I'm from Vancouver Island, but I live here now. I'm a loving, compassionate in Alberta. NDE, empath, kundalini teacher, in recovery, and an astral traveler. Astral traveling is very easy. Your guest that spoke on it didn't mention the easiest way to get out of your body, which really surprised me. And he doesn't tell me what it is. He's been stabbed at, shot at, died a few times, spent lots of time on the street. I've had a tough go with life, but for some reason I'm still here. You guys are doing a great thing, and I'm proud to call myself a Grand American. I would love to catch up with you guys next time I'm down in Calgary. The C-SETI thing would be a blast. And if you guys come this way, let me know. I've got lots of space. Please, if there's anything going on in our province that you feel I would enjoy, please keep me in the loop, and I'll do the same. 
Don't know why I've waited so long to reach out. So he's got little synchro here. So it was February and I work at Chetwind on the on the family day long weekend. I started listening you to You weren't supposed to mention his company. <clears throat> that's a that's a you should know. You've been in Alberta longer than I. That's a town, Chetwind. Oh. So, I started listening to a podcast on my second trip through, and you guys were talking about having family dinners on the Saturday of Family Day weekend. You guys had mentioned that as being tomorrow, which meant it was Friday. I looked down at my watch, and it was Friday of the Family Day long weekend, only a year or two later. Anyway, a little cheesy, but cool nonetheless. Gentlemen, I think you've gotten me dialed back in and saved me a few times. Lots of love and appreciation for your hard work. Maybe I can come teach you guys some kundalini for a trade. Hopefully I hear back and we cross paths. If I can contribute in any way, please ask. That was from Ed. Thanks, Ed. We appreciate that. We'd love, we'd love to do some Kundalini too. Yeah. We figure it out. Until then, check out grandamerica.ca slash support. There's a ton of options over there. Um, is that what I got? I got, no, I, got, I got some other ones for later, but yeah, go ahead. Um, under the social media jangle. So we have here on the Scott Adams video. Oh, boy. When you say I will get, you're affirming that you currently don't have. Affirm I have. I know. That's a that's a I, that's a tough one, man. I always flip flop back and forth and I think that's my problem. I gotta stick with one or the other. Here, this one's on a brief history of weather manipulation with Jim Lee. The host seemed to not know what an N A C I was. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. The fucking host doesn't know what that is. I still don't know what that is. What's a knackle? An NACI? I don't know. Uh, are they talking about you, obviously? Well, do you know what it is? NACI? Well, I know what I know more about weather modification than Darren does. From Gnarly Boys National Academy of Climate Change Institute? Probably. National Academy of <laughs> Go Fuck Yourself. Uh, from Gnarly Boy Productions. I love this show so much. Uh, from our buddy Steve Burnson. I don't know. STVBR. Oh, by the way, Stevie said yes. So we oh. got our first Great American Union. Well, we got to explain that to people. Well, the, we last, have to the last episode, bring we played some a proposal. Yeah. A wedding proposal. I forget her name. Margaret? Meredith? Meredith. boy. <laughs> <laughs> so Meredith asked Stevie, her boyfriend, to or, uh, marry her. And he said yes. We played her jingle on the show. And so he got the proposal by listening to the podcast. That would have been pretty cool, actually. Yeah. And then I think when he listened, she was standing there on her knee. Because wow, I told her the timestamp really? I told oh. her the timestamp and everything. So she wow, was ready for that's it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So they've invited you down to marry them. I don't know if you probably have to take like a course or something. I was wondering about yeah. that. Have to, yeah. Just bring my can I bring my you can get certified. But I don't know. Maybe. Bring my Sir Gray of Grimerica. Thank you. No agenda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your no agenda ring. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know how it works. Maybe in Kansas, fucking anything goes. We should ask Ryan from Kansas. Or we could ask Sam. Would you seriously consider it? Oh, I can't even think about traveling for stuff right now, to be honest. But when would it be? I don't know. It's got to be. It's next year, maybe. It's a year or two out. Yeah, maybe. Consider it, eh? We'll put you yeah. through a little weekend course. <laughs> Send you down. I'll meet you there. Like You're doing the ceremony. Little, strap a little GoPro to him. Fuck yeah, I'll videotape the whole affair. Yeah. America now owns the rights to your wedding. Uh, yeah, well, everyone's going to sign a fucking thing on the land. 
I think it'd be neat. We'll send you down. We won't. We we don't need to film anything. But it'd be pretty funny if you married some people. I want to at least re- release the audio. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. And you could be like a pasture. Pasture. <laughs> <laughs> You're not out to pasture just yet. You could be a pastor. Pastor? I don't even know her. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. All right. Ready for more? Well, I was going, wasn't I? Wasn't it me? I think you're done with the social media, aren't you? Fuck, I love this show and the jingles, but y'all suck as playing rain suck at playing rain sticks. Oh. Now there will probably be a twenty year drought. Thanks a lot, <laughs> jerks. <laughs> Actually it's been hailing like a Sending you good vibes. I forget where we I don't even remember where we were sending them. Oh to BC did it rain? It hailed here. Was it for BC or California? I don't know. But we're being warned not to quit abusing the rain sticks, you novices. <laughs> <laughs> Why were, how are we abusing it if we do it once? I don't know. It's not like we're doing it every show. We don't have a ticket. But I'm certified, the fucking Indian certified. in the bunch. Yeah. I'm gonna get but they're not ticket. Indian, the rain sticks, are they? I think they're Indian. Eastern. I think they're from the East. They're not from Native North American. India. It's okay, bro. Don't let your white privilege back into a What? It's okay to say Indian. I said it. No, you didn't. Say it. (laughs) (laughs) Say it. Well, the rain stick's not from North America, I don't think, is it? Hey, Siri, where do rain sticks come from? Like Indonesia or something. Here's what I found on the web for where do rain sticks come from. Have a look. Read it to me, you fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Say Indian. Indian. There you go. Call me an Indian. You're an Indian. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally going to get made into a jingle. <laughs> okay, a rain stick is a long hollow tube partially filled with small pebbles or beans that has small pins or thorns arranged helically, helically on its inside surface. When the stick is upended, the pebbles fall to the other end of the tube, making the sound reminiscent of rain falling. The rain stick is believed to be invented by the Mapuches and was played in the belief that it could bring rainstorms. Okay, where are these motherfuckers from? Chile. South America. Yeah. It's probably the same as in regular Indians. There's South American Indians. Yeah, maybe. Where everyone came from. Yeah, maybe they all came from the same place. You're in big trouble, mister. (laughs) Especially on this episode. Thanks, Darren. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, lots of attention on the... Pen and paper and write this down. Or a pencil. Why don't you send some physical mail to the Grimerica Show? At P.O. Box 16033. Next line. Uh Uh-huh. 100-815, comma, 17th Avenue, SW. Next line. Uh-huh. Calgary, Alberta. Next line. Uh-huh. Canada. Next line. Uh-huh. T2T, space, 5H7. That's the B.O. Box. B.O. Box. Why don't you send Darren some dirty socks? Because he's got a dirty sock. So we've got uh, some mail here. Okay. It's from Minnesota. Hopefully it's not we, hopefully, anthrax yeah, or something. Yeah. It just says, I don't know if I should read this. No, I'm not going to read anything until I see yeah, the... Usually there's a letter inside or something like that. We're, we're slowly learning the lesson. Everybody loves to get physical and get physical mail in the mailbox. So send them, 
Oh, here we oh go. boy. Looks like a quite a long letter. You... <clears throat> we got some newspaper Ooh, some clippings. Some news newspaper clippings of Bigfoot. I'll put that on the wall behind me there. Ooh, fucking badass Bigfoot pen. Oh, nice. Look at that thing. I wrote on the newspaper. <laughs> Was that a bad idea? Look at that thing. That thing. That thing's got some weight to it. Oh, hold yeah, it up cool. to the camera. For those of you who don't know, we have a YouTube channel. And we got some buttons. Buttons. Now I get to pick which one first. Ooh, you can have the trifecta. It is nice to get stuff in the mail, thanks. Oh, it's always nice to get stuff in the mail. We got this Seeking Bigfoot. More than 300 participants attend Sasquatch Conference. After last year's inaugural Bigfoot gathering, organized realized they were going to need a bigger venue. The second annual Marinette Menomi Bigfoot Convention Menominee? Bigfoot Convention was held at the Whistle Stop Pullman Center near Menominee. The event drew some 300 participants from Michigan, Michigan, Wisconsin, and from states as far away as Tennessee. How old when's that from? This is, I think, I don't know, July 2018. Wow. Yeah. And there's a picture picture of uh, Mystery Town USA. That's where the buttons are from. I'm assuming that there'll be something in this letter that relates to Mystery Town USA. So here we have Wednesday, July 18th, so about two weeks ago. Dear Darren and Graham, I've been a longtime listener and supporter. Thank you very much for the support and felt the need to write some snail mail, so I hope this hodgepodge of a letter finds you both well. To get this thing rolling, Darren, I can only imagine that the new legal status of the lovely herb in Canada is opening some doors for a wider variety of strains for your smoking pleasure. Here in Minneapolis, Minneapolis, we are in the process of decriminalizing possession, since the cops have been spending an inordinate amount of time arresting people simply for having a good time. At least our new chief of police has some common sense. Yep. I've actually been medical for a year and a half or so, so I've had access to those all those yummy strains for a while. Now, I appreciate you looking out for me. Next time I go to Minneapolis, I can get it from a reputable source such as yourself instead of a limo driver. Technically, it was like a car driver, I guess. You hooked it up, though. Yeah. Moving on, my family and I were recently on an RV camping vacation. We drove east towards the Indiana Dunes, up north to Sleeping Bear in Michigan, over to Mackinac Island, and west across the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, also known as Bigfoot Country. We had a great time hauling ass in the rented 20... See, Michigan's like... Doesn't strike me as... That's like my home turf. Yeah, probably. Yeah, it's that probably. Seem very, like, is that Bigfoot country? Uh, I always yeah, thought the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, but that's mainly. But there's there is spread. If you look at the Bigfoot map, which Stunk I saw the other day, all over the all over North right. America, except for a little spot in the center, kind of like the prairies. Calgary. Like it's kind of just not really in the prairies, but everywhere else. Yeah, <laughs> Brody's laughing at us. <laughs> downtown Calgary, Calgary. We had. <laughs> See, I appreciate that you catch that. Most people let those slip by. 
We had a great time hauling ass in the rented 26-footer motorhome. A first for us as we usually camp in our tents. Needless to say, we could not pass up anything that resembled something out of the ordinary, so we took a pause at Mystery Town, USA, located in Mackinac City, Michigan. We didn't get beyond the gift shop as the most as most of the mystery exhibits, i.e. Loch Ness, Area 51, Sasquatch, etc., seemed rather unsophisticated compared to the <laughs> level of intellect found on your podcast. <laughs> However, we enjoyed talking with the owner and appreciated that they were working on opening some people's minds to something beyond the realm of our everyday mundane existence. As a token of my appreciation to the two of you, I've included a Bigfoot pen, a couple of mystery town buttons, and an article about the second annual Marinette Menominee Bigfoot Convention, which drew over 300 attendees. I read the, read the headline and the sub-headline. To round things out, I have a sick synchronicity to share that took place during one of our last days while camping. On Tuesday, July 10th, my wife and I took our kids, left our kids in safe hands with a family friend and decided to take a walk from the municipal campground in Washburn. Wisconsin, up to the South Shore Brewery Tap House. My mom used to live in the area, so we have had their beer before, and we were once again looking forward to their award-winning nut brown ale. A well-earned libation after the long, hot days we had been experiencing. We ordered our beers and began chatting up the bartender and anyone else who sat in the bar stool next to us. Soon enough, a middle-aged man named Troy sat down and asked if we had been mountain biking in the area. I said no and told him we were rounding out our vacation and we'd be heading back to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis-St. Paul, soon. He told us that he was retired and that he divided his time between Washburn and the Twin Cities. He was a bit younger than my 51 years, so I asked how he could be retired. He explained that after college, he made his way up to Alaska and worked odd jobs to pay off his student loans, which got him on the path to owning a business. Selling said business and retiring. I asked him where he lived in Alaska and he said Fairbanks. Isn't uh, Numbnuts from Fairbanks? I asked where in Fairbanks, and he said College Road. I told him that my brother used to live on Army Road before he died suddenly in a car accident nearly 17 years ago. Troy said he knew a guy named Henrik who built houses on Army Road. I was stunned. I explained to him that Henrik was my brother Eric's best friend (laughs) and that they were in business together. Now, this better not be fucking two-sided. Now the three of us were flabbergasted. Memories now jogged. Troy went on to reminisce about amazing parties at my brother's cabin on Army Road, drum circles, hot saunas, weed, sled dogs, and music. We shared a few more stories, all the while astounded that Troy knew Eric. It was comforting for me to hear my brother's spirit communicate across space and time all these years later. Troy and I exchanged our contact information, and he let me know that he'll be relating our chat with Henrik, whom he occasionally visits. In the meantime, I am composing a letter to Troy, thanking him for sharing an Eric moment with me. If you've read this far, thanks, and feel free to share as little, as much, or none of this on the podcast. You make the call. (laughs) That should definitely be at the front, but it's okay because he said it's okay to share. But can you imagine if it's a don't read this anymore? There's no chance that I'm checking that or pre-reading anything. So keep that in mind. I look forward to each new episode. Sincerely, Mark in Minneapolis. P.S. My 11-year-old son sometimes listens, and the other day while he and I were 
walking the dog. He said, Grandma's the real deal. He is definitely someone you can count on. I can just tell. What? And no, there you have it. Yeah. Oh, cool. A young kid, so you're someone to count on. Wow. <clears throat> awesome. That kid is a terrible judge of character. <laughs> <clears throat> just I have kidding. another one just about, a, about a cat. See, there's all these little tiny synchros. I, mean, I don't want to make a big deal, but I have an email ready to read about a listener and her son's uh, synchronicity. Let's hear it. And then, and then I have another one as well. It's kind of, First do you, you want to do a spam grammar? 7.77. 7. 7.77. 7. Yeah. Wow. What would you rate it? Uh, I probably would have rated that one uh, a <laughs> 8.2. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. You're a piece of shit, Graham. <laughs> um, should I play the synchro jingle? Yeah, sure, I guess. Yep. But we'll keep on that, uh, that vein, and then I'll switch gears to the other synchro type stuff. I just already had two. I'm a rambling My two favorite synchro yeah, jingles playing at once. All right. <clears throat> hey guys, just wanted to share a small synchro that happened a few days ago. About a week ago, I gave my son my debit card and told him he was in charge of the family's money from now on. That included paying the bills and spending any extra money. He's only eight years old, but man, did he love the new responsibility. Of course, I see over all this and have the final say. He decided he wants to set aside money over the next few months to buy a bull for his ranch. It's just an empty piece of property we purchased with our tax money this year, but I added his name to the deed so he has ownership and the responsibility. So while we were talking about money, we brought up wanting to open up a bank account just for him so he has his own saving to spend on his ranch supplies. So we set the date for me to take him on Monday and headed out that morning after they opened. On the ride to town, my son asked me what flag I like the best. I said the Canadian one, of course. I love the maple leaf on it and its simplicity. He told me he liked the Brazilian flag because his two favorite bull riders are an American and a Brazilian man. I asked what... He liked about the flag, and he told me the colors and gave me an outline of what it looked like. I told him I thought it had red in it, but he said he didn't think so. So we quickly Googled the flag and took a turn checking it out. Skip to the bank. We were sitting at a really nice lady's desk as she explained to my son all about how the bank runs and what comes with having an account. I was checking out everything on her desk and saw her name, her nameplate, and says she speaks both Spanish and Portuguese. So I said out loud, oh, you speak Portuguese as well. She said, oh, yes, I'm from Brazil. I told her that's funny because we were just talking about the Brazil flag on the way to the bank. So she reached under her desk and unfolded her Brazilian flag to ask my son, this flag? We live in southwest Utah, and we don't have too much diversity around here, so it was fun sharing a synchro with my son like that. Thanks for taking the time to read our story. I've been thankful for such a great show you guys provide us with. Listeners, please support them if you don't already. Have a great day. And that's from Amanda in Cedar City, Utah. There you have it. Support the show. So um, what do you think? You got to rate that guy. I'll give him a 7.77. <laughs> Come on. Uh, it's, a, yeah. it's a kid. I don't want to. What? 6.8. All right. 
Does a kid listen? <laughs> that shouldn't make it. That shouldn't make it make a difference, Darren. You can tell this guy don't have kids. But yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Yeah, a lot of it comes up, and then they go to the well, the bank. I think it's cool how she just like had a flag. I know that's the thing. Like, and here's like a, a Brazilian flag. Like, come on. Just, I, I just I just because of that now I just imagine all Brazilians having a flag. Yeah, somewhere that's on them. Incredibly yeah. racist. Oh yeah, incredibly. <laughs> But that's also why it's fine. <laughs> Continue. So, well, the other thing, that's I mean, this done. is kind of a spam gram thing, but I mean, I did want to read this email out. Now, I, I have another email from Allie that I want to read later. It's another synchronicity. But what happened sometimes, and I didn't plan on reading this on the show, but as I was on my way to the studio, I saw in our chats, which we should talk about as well. America.ca slash chats is book club stuff, right? Right. And I got right. two emails today. Why don't you make a whole song of ground just going, right? Shut up. Right. So right. I had two right. emails right. today. Right. <clears throat> Didn't Mac just start the book club today? That's what I'm trying to get at oh, that. I'm, I'm trying it? to tell you the backstory about oh, I this, right? your crescendo? Crescendo, yeah. My apex or whatever, or my... Uh, climax. Climax. <laughs> you had a hard time saying that, didn't you? Climax. So where am I? So anyways, I got two emails okay. about books. Okay. So I thought, and then I get the thing in the chat on the way to the studio about books. So I'm going to read this one. <clears throat> Graham's, <clears throat> excuse me. Graham, super stoked with your email. I made my day. I seriously tell anyone and everyone about you guys. I can't get enough. I want to enter the matrix so I can download all of your shows in a few seconds. Hey, I was wondering something. Maybe you have nothing left to listen. I'm an to. avid reader, and every time you guys or a guest mention a book, I scramble to write it down. Actually, I'm just going to cut in here for a second. And say uh, I do put most of the books, even if we talk about them that they aren't the guest books. There's links in the show notes usually. So yeah, most of the right. time, yeah, <laughs> most of the time, if you don't have to write them down, just go to the show notes, click on it, and you can add it that way. So anyways, unfortunately, most times I'm driving are too busy to do so. I also know you have a bookcase full of cool books. I thought I took a picture of that somewhere. There's multiple pictures of it on Twitter. Yeah, I haven't, even, re I haven't even replied to this yet, but I do have a couple pictures. So he's, he's, she says, can I help you guys catalog them? What I was thinking was I could start a Grimerica Goodreads account. Are you familiar with Goodreads? <clears throat> so sometimes I link to... Our guest books, like, through Sometimes Goodreads. Sometimes I get quotes from Goodreads. Yeah. I'm trying to inspire motherfuckers. Yeah. So it's a site where you can record the books you have read, want to read, and lots of other cool bookish stuff. I can go through each of your episodes and enter every book you're trying to promote onto Goodreads. Also, if you send me pics of your books in the bookshelf, I can record those as well. I figure taking pics would take you a lot less time than writing them down. I well and truly don't mind if you'd rather not. I was just thinking of how else I can help you guys. And I love books, so that option seemed obvious. But no worries at all if you don't want to bother. Here's my Goodreads if you're not familiar with the setup. And she linked to it. She says, I don't want to be all fangirly, but I could totally yap to you guys all day. I won't, though. I swear. It's just so cool to chat with someone with the same ideals and beliefs. I love how open you guys are. I'll show some control and end my email here. I hope you have a good weekend. So, yeah, that seems like a pretty cool idea. Sure. And then I got a whole list of books that we can add to that. I mean, why, mm -hmm. I didn't know much about it, but looking at it, that seems like where a good place for our sort of books and our guest books and all the books on our bookshelf, we should put them on there. Yes, 
I, agree. I mean, I don't want to honestly, I don't want to put that on her, but that would be a cool way to support the show. Yeah. Take so then picture, what? Send it to so her. then what happened in the? I'll copy the, paste all the books I'm working on with you. What happened to in you? the chats uh, with the book uh, club thing? Some chats. I don't know. I haven't read it yet. I think Max started a book club. Where everyone just posts their favorite book. Oh, I something. know what it is. So there's a channel in our chats for book club, right? That's right. So I'll put the, yeah, we can sort of link the two together something. Maybe put a pinned link to the Goodreads in the chat or vice versa or whatever you do. We'll see how it goes. So then I got another email today. Let's see how it degrades. This is from our friend, our retired couple of motorhoding motor around. Retired couple <laughs> motorhoming around down what? in the States. And they send me interesting pic. It's like a, it's like an old typewriter, a pic of an old typewriter thing in a way. So anyways, this is appropriate too. Dear Graham, I listened to the latest. Oh, this is the wrong one. Oh no. Way to go. Do you want me to read this anyways? Sure. Ah. Dear Graham, I listen. I'm gonna pull up. People? Yes, it is. Okay. Same people. <clears throat> okay, this is feedback. We can segue into our uh, support segment if you want. This is feedback on one of our black budgets. I listened to the latest black budget feed dated July 20th, and I was very impressed with the information presented. And as usual, you and Darren did yeoman's work concerning the conduct conduct of the interview, allowing the guests to roam but reining them in with key questions and comments. I've never heard of the national. Policy Council. I think he means National Council Policy. And no, that's when I released into yep. the thing. Yep. Prior to today, this surprises me. Most of the conservative organizations are not shy about promoting themselves. Knowing of it lends new meaning to Alex's frequent comments that he touts when he touts his inside sources. So thanks, Grime America. I'm sure he's talking about Alex Jones there. Regarding what contributes the JBS is making to today's battle against authoritarianism, I enjoy their their magazine, The New American. It doesn't take the rush limbo approach of only supporting Republicans, but adhere to the motto, smaller government, more responsibility, and with God's help, a better world. They publish the Freedom Index twice yearly. This rates the votes of Congress as weighed against the oath to uphold the Constitution. There's a reason Ron Paul became known as Dr. No. Again, thanks for a great podcast. Your supporter, Ken in Texas. So I'm going to quickly just look up the email I got from him today because it's about books. Thanks, it's Ken. pretty cool. And I've got, a, I've got one of his, uh, he, he sent an awesome story about a spell and I'm saving it for a future episode. A spell? Mm. Like a spelling bee or like no, a witch like, spell? Uh, like, yeah, like that kind. Or like a Dungeons and Dragons kind. <laughs> Jeez, now I'm having trouble finding it. Just bear with me for a second, dude. Rather not. Um, Here it is. So, am I still this is so weird that it came it? today. So weird, man. Well, it is. I mean, and then the book club thing all in one day. Book club's a lot older than one day, bro. Why books? The digital revolution has not been kind to books. They they say, or is that may? It's hard to read this sometimes. I don't think that's They may soon be a relic of the past. I know, but but just just bear with me. No, you've lost me. Imagine you live during the time when information was conveyed through the use of scrolls. Another D&D reference, if you want to take it that way. Fuck off. scrolls. <laughs> Along come books. First you scoff. Books, they'll never catch on. 
then rationalize, well, they are easier to store, finally, except I guess books are here to stay. I've experienced a version of this process. It was accompanied by a sense of wonder. How can this be? How Access be? to information from around the world on my phone? However, the digits which replace paper are lacking one vital characteristic. Put simply, they don't exist. Books do. Books present quite a problem for those who wish to control access to information. The content is impossible to change and may be accessed without anyone's knowledge or permission. This has to give authoritarians nightmares. In our market-based society, the demand for a product ensures its existence. If we don't buy books, they most certainly will not be available. Give books as gifts. Younger members of your family will benefit from less screen time. Start to expand your personal library. Previewing or reading an online version is a great way to make your purchases more satisfactory. Many people enjoy joining book clubs where selections are read, then discussed. Donate books to your local library. This makes sure that they're available to others. Support websites like LouRockwell.com that publish classic editions and bring back out-of-print works. Above all, keep a book by your bedside and your toilet I, I added that in there. You did? Yeah. That's and, what you do most of your reading, isn't and it? And enjoy the benefits of reading a real book. I agree. So would you rate that Dry America synchronicity of the book club day? Point four two. You're just being a difficult now. 6.42. You're just being difficult. You want a better synchro? I don't know. You tell me. No, I mean, I'm not giving not it to you. <laughs> No chance. You should read books. I got one of those Kindle paperweights. Not the same thing. It's still not the same thing. So I'll send a I'll send a pic of the uh, the books on the bookshelf, and the yeah, books, that'd be good. Classic good book. They can't. They can might come to your house, and you can burn it if you get cold. And cut a little part out to roll a joint if you need to. There's a million things you can do with a book, other than read it if you're in a pinch. Anyway, you should support the show like Ken does, like most of these people that actually all, everyone who emailed in was a supporter, I think. Uh, yeah, probably. Seemed like yeah. it. Right on. And America. there's a black budget and all that too. And don't forget the UFO quote of the week. You gotta, you can't leave Go me America. slash support, guys. Make sure, <laughs> make sure you sign up for something so that you can, like books, the Great America Show could cease to exist without support. Check out America.ca slash support. Weekly options, monthly options, yearly options, Patreon options, one-time one -time donation option. You can support the show for less than the price of a bottle of water a month. We prefer you pick something higher, but we'll take that over nothing 100% of the time. Did you mention we're, we're not sponsored or no ads, all that kind of stuff? No ads, not yeah. sponsored. Despite what you may have heard about Squatty Potty, they do not pay us any money. <laughs> <laughs> so grammarica.ca slash support guys if you can when you can because without it shows like ours can't uh, hack it oh, oh yeah live stream Brody makes us mention live stream Wednesday nights grammarica.ca slash live what's the best way for them to get notification in the chats email I didn't post anything email, in the chats uh, did you you didn't post anything in the chats today no oh. Subscribe to YouTube and, and click, click the, the bell, bell button. It's and then most Wednesday nights, right when we start, I'll tweet it out. Yeah, you'll tweet it as well. And then and then the newsletter is another way to get uh, access. Right. You know, we'll notify you every week. I think we gotta make sure that happens. Include Justin. Uh, 
Fuck yeah, I, uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, anyways, lots of different ways. And this, we should be like down to our last couple of UFO quotes. Darren and Graham going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. Words to ponder and critique. It's a profound UFO quote of a week. I picked a good one here for this episode. Let's hear it. When the mysterious light first appeared, it was seen moving rapidly from the northeast and heading in a southwesterly direction. As it neared the southern boundary of the city of Sacramento, it turned directly towards the west, and after passing the city, went south, being distinctly visible for upward of 20 minutes. That was the Deputy Secretary of State, California, George A. McAlvey, the San Francisco Call, November 25th. What year do you think? 1968. 1896. Really? Yeah. It was an airship, motherfucker. Yep. Damn straight. All right, guys. Number 299. Next week's 300 from the road. Could be a total fucking train wreck. Tune in live. <laughs> Might not. Won't be Wednesday. So Whenever you'll you have want. to watch the Twitter. Yeah. Wedding on Wednesday. I'll be in the sticks. Support the show, guys. Most of all, enjoy this chat with the one and only Scott Adams. So we got a special one tonight. We got Scott Adams with us. He's the author of Darren's probably Darren's favorite book, and definitely one of my favorites as well. It's up there for sure. A couple of his couple of favorite books here: um, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. And he's also got another book, Win Bigly. Um, Scott Adams has been also he's been pushing out a podcast as well. It was a, uh, what's the live feed there? Periscope. He had coffee with Scott Adams through Periscope, and now he's putting it on podcast. So we get to hear him pretty much every day, and he's got a common sense approach to, like, figuring out the persuasion and, you know, from both sides of what we're dealing with in the world today. So we're going to talk about all that stuff and self-improvement. And, uh, yeah, we're super happy to have you on the show, Scott. Thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Like I was saying, like, Darren, I think Darren, I think the book, like how to, how to fail at almost everything and still win big. I remember where I was listening to it on audio. Did uh, I listen to and, it first? Uh, yeah. And then I think you listened to it and then read it. But yeah, I think that's, that book has probably had the biggest impact I've seen on Darren since we've been doing this for like five years. 
that like, one or no more Mr. Nice Guy. Yeah. Are the two probably out of the last like 50 books. Well, that's those are the two most profound books I've read in my life. I go back and forth. I just listened to, I just read the one again, actually. Joel, I listened to it and I just finished it today. Um, how to, how to fail at everything and still, still win. That one I've listened to probably four times now. I find that one's good to listen to like, you know, once or twice a year and sort of, sort of, you know, re and reinvest or re and reconnect with, with some of the, some of the content in there. So yeah, this is, well, probably uh, a lot of people have been hearing you probably talk about your new stuff all over the place lately, but this one will probably be touching back on that one quite a bit because uh, it was a pretty big book around here anyway. Wow. Great. It's good to hear. Yeah. So um, where do you want to start, buddy? We'll start on the things that affected you in the book the most, maybe, and Scott can expand on those. Well, I think probably um, the, now I can't remember how to pronounce the, the name of the syndrome that you had come down with when you, when you weren't able to draw your comics. It was a spasmodic dysphonia, which was the voice problem, but a focal dystonia, which is sort of a cousin condition, affected my drawing hand. Yeah, I think that kind of, that's when I really sort of focused in in the book and I was like, whoa, because I mean, obviously, I don't know how much you know about our show, but we tend to spend a lot of time having, talking about the the woo-woo subjects and the the stuff that uh, you kind of got, your, can get yourself into trouble for talking about a little too much. But I mean, around here, we focus on that side of the universe. So um, when, as soon as I seen this, this book sort of starting to to touch on that realm a little bit here and there and kind of using your hacking it's almost like a, an early version of bio, biohacking too you know and being able to to rewire your brain to to beat you know a, a condition that you'd been told there was no no cure for i was wondering if you could just kind of give our listeners a, a little rundown of that scenario yeah so a little background uh people don't know necessarily that i'm a trained hypnotist and also that's right study the ways of persuasion for for decades <laughs> And so when I have problems, I often think, well, how could I rewire my brain to make a difference? And the story you're talking about was uh, I lost the ability to use my drawing hand for uh, several weeks, maybe months. And what would happen is my pinky would spasm as soon as I touched my hand down to paper with a pen in it. And of course, if your job is drawing, that's a really, really big problem. Now, as luck would have it, the world expert on that specific condition was a doctor at the Kaiser Health uh, facility that I actually go to. So it was a weird coincidence that the expert was local. And so I went to him and said, okay, I got this spasm problem. And he diagnosed it right away. Oh, yeah, that's a focal dystonia. I deal with those all the time. It's usually musicians or anybody who uses their hand in the same way a lot. And I said, all right, great. So what's the cure? And he said, uh, quit your job. And that was it. That was the best, that was the best science and the medical community had to offer, which, which was, there's nothing we could do about it. Quit your job. But they suspected it was a, a brain malfunction as opposed to a physical hand problem. So uh, I agreed to help them experiment with a variety of different things from biofeedback to um, physical therapy on the hand to exercises, et cetera. None of those made any difference. 
when I was working my day job at the time, this is when I was working my day job while doing the Dilbert comic uh, nights and weekends. And uh, I started just touching a pen to paper um, very briefly, just tapping it and then taking my hand away before the spasm started. And I would just do that for hours at a time with, you know, if I was in a meeting, I'd just touch the paper and then take my hand away and touch it and take it away. And I would just do that the entire meeting until eventually I could hold the pen on the paper for two seconds, Mm -hmm. which was actually a lot. And then I kept doing it for two seconds until I could do it for five. Mm -hmm. And somewhere around 10 seconds, my brain rewired. And it just took that problem away. And now I can reproduce the problem. If I, if I were to overuse my hand for a period, I would get it back because I've, I've been close to that before. So I know that it, it's always at risk. But uh, I was in the literature, I believe, according to my doctor, uh, as the first known solution to that problem. Wow. Um, and that, it was a brain hack. And the, reason, the way that I could confirm it was a brain problem and not a hand problem is that when I tried to draw left-handed, I'm, I'm mildly ambidextrous. So I thought, well, worst case scenario, I'll, I'll learn to draw left-handed better than, than I can. So some of the Dilbert comics were actually drawn left-handed during, during that time. And, but what I noticed is if when I put my left hand, which did not have the problem, down to the paper, my right hand would spasm. So it was literally simply watching my hand touch a piece of paper was enough to make the other hand spasm. So that's how you know it was a brain problem. And uh, brains are very elastic. So if you do the right combination of things, in this case, I was just doing the things that worked, meaning touching the paper before the spasm happened. And I would do it so many times that my brain just got apparently wired to do that. And it it became my new habit and the, the old habit just went away. Yeah, that's a great story. So did that affect your your path from there on? Like, did that make you, you know, look at things differently, change your attitude about things? Or was that part of the genesis to, like, getting to this book finally? Not finally, but you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah, you know, uh, I've never connected these dots before, so your question is sort of perfect. You know how sometimes bad luck leads to something good? You, you would never choose the bad luck, yep. but sometimes it opens up a door. And there were a couple things that happened because of it. One of them was that a second time is my hand started to hurt. Uh, and I thought, oh, no, I've overused it again. I might recreate this problem. I started looking for another way to draw. And so I searched online and imagined that there was probably, at this point, some kind of a computer tablet situation. And because it was a brain problem, I reasoned that if I drew with the same hand that had a problem, with a stylus instead of a pen and on a computer device instead of paper that my brain might not recognize it as drawing. Yeah. And sure enough, there was a device called the Wacom Cintiq. Uh, Wacom is the company. And it was fairly new, and I got a demo model. They sent me one right away. And sure enough, I could draw like a regular artist draws, and because it wasn't a piece of paper – my brain didn't recognize it as a problem. And so that, so here's the good news. Moving to the technology well before other cartoonists were doing it, it's, it's fairly common to draw this way now using that same device. But at the time, I didn't know anybody who was doing it. Uh, but it probably cut my total workload by 50%. So there was 
so a learning curve. But once I learned to draw with the computer, it just could do so many things of, you know, resizing and copying and pasting. And yeah, there's just so many advantages to, to draw a straight line is, is the easiest thing in the world. So that was the first advantage. So the, the bad news with my hand led to a 50% decrease in my workload. You know, you can't get much better than that. But the second thing that happened was years later, when I lost my voice to a mysterious and incurable, we thought, problem called a vocal dystonia. And my doctors were baffled. They didn't know what it was. It didn't, they didn't have a name for it. I, I figured that out by Googling it eventually. <laughs> um, yeah, true story. Uh, but there was no cure. Nobody knew what it was. They thought it was a mental problem, et cetera. And one day, just in a, a moment of inspiration, I thought, I wonder if it has anything to do with that hand problem I had years ago, because they both had that same muscle spasm quality to them, but different parts of the body. So I Googled the term uh, vocal dystonia, and that was close enough for Google to kick up spasmodic dysphonia, different words, but there's enough of a connection that it found them. Hmm. And then I played a video, a little audio you know, video clip of somebody with my same problem. And the moment I heard it, I thought, that's it. I found it because it was somebody who had the same exact same problem talking in the same way. And so I took that to my doctor. Now I had a name for it that allowed me to follow this path uh, to the one doctor in the world, the world, one doctor who had an experimental surgery and I went to visit him. He was down at UCLA, Dr. Gerald Burke. And he had cured a number of people, but it was still very experimental. Sometimes things went worse. So for some amount of people, maybe 15%, they might, they might get worse and lose their chance to ever get better by the surgery. But other people got good results. So I decided to do the surgery. And as you can tell, my voice returned. So I, I managed to cure effectively if you can call it that, two incurable problems, one with my hand and then later with my voice. But I probably would have taken much longer and maybe never figured out what was wrong with my voice. And by the way, a lot of people who have this condition never figure out what the name of it is and therefore can never seek treatment. So the hand problem probably saved my voice, which was a much bigger deal than even the hand problem was. Uh, so two huge pieces of good luck, getting my voice back and then cutting my workload by half because I had an incurable medical problem that I also cured. So talk about things working out right. Yeah, no kidding. And then I think with the voice problems, I think you were like that as by that time is when you had started touching into affirmations and things like that. So, I mean, obviously yeah. it seems so like... I, I'd I'd been doing affirmations for most of my life. And for those who don't know what that means, uh, it just means repeating or writing down a specific vision of what you want to happen. So before I was rich or before I was a cartoonist, I was saying I, Scott Adams, will be a syndicated cartoonist. And that happened. I, I said I, Scott Adams, will have a number one best-selling book. And that happened. I said, I, Scott Adams, will speak perfectly when I couldn't speak at all. So I would repeat that in a way that nobody could understand except me because I couldn't actually speak. But when, every time I drove, I would just repeat, 
I, Scott Adams, will speak perfectly. Now, I never spoke perfectly before, even before I had the problem. I didn't have a great voice. But now I do with these periscopes, you know, the, the online streaming video every day. And one of the most common comments I get is people say how much they like my voice. <laughs> and, and that wasn't true before. Before, nobody said that because uh, part of recovering from that problem was learning proper voice technique. So I came out ahead voice-wise because I know how to produce proper voice as part of the process of making sure I don't re-injure my vocal cords. So I came out ahead on that too. Nice. So did that, did that also change? So all those things like getting over those obstacles and all, did that end up leading towards, towards your book? Like having all that stuff well, happen. I mean, did that really change your paradigm at all? Um, my life has been so unusual for my entire, well, really including childhood, the, the number of things which have happened to me are, seems so far beyond what coincidence could explain that either this is a giant simulation and somehow I've learned how to program it, or there's something to affirmations, or it's just some kind of weird selective memory that makes me think things are, are happening uh, for me, but maybe they aren't. Um, so whatever the answer is, is really interesting but we don't know exactly what that is. All I know is that the number of things that have happened in my life that go just way beyond anything normal, uh, it's just hard to explain through normal means. Now, now, have you noticed that happening outside of affirmations or is it, I mean, I guess selective memory would be a big thing there, but is that, does that crazy thing, has it always been happening or do you notice it more when you, when you kind of tune into it? Well, the affirmations uh, have have preceded some amazing coincidences. Uh, I talk about some of them in the book, but I'll, I'll just mention, well, before I had any money, before I was a cartoonist, I thought, well, I'm going to try, um, I'm going to try an affirmation that I'll get together with a particular uh, woman at work who was way out of my league, and I didn't, I didn't even work in her department, and it seemed impossible. And then this huge series of coincidences happened that just put us together a bunch of times. And the next thing you know, um, I was going out with her. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I just underestimated my awesomeness. And that wasn't such a hard goal. And maybe I'm more appealing than I think I am. So maybe that wasn't you know, unusual. So I thought, well, I'll try it with money. So I, I started uh, an affirmation that I would get rich in the stock market. And I, would, I did that every day for a while. And one day I woke up uh, literally in the middle of the night from not even a dream. I just sat up in my bed thinking, buy Chrysler, Chrysler stock. Now, this was a long time ago, and it was when Chrysler stock was um, in sort of a bankruptcy or, or near it, whatever, whatever the exact words were. And nobody was buying that stock. It was at its lowest point. And I tried to open a stock account to buy it, but the my application got lost in the mail back when things had to be mailed. And I didn't I didn't get it in time and the stock started going up. I don't know, maybe it went up ten or twenty percent in the time it took me to sign up for the account. And I thought, darn, I was right, but I was too late. 
So I didn't, I didn't buy it because I thought the big gain was the 10 or 20% that I just had just observed. But uh, Chrysler became the biggest gaining stock of the entire year. So I think there are 10 or 20,000 stocks in the world. I picked for my first try, I'd, I didn't, I'd never bought a stock before that. For my first try, I had obsessed for no obvious reason. I had done no research. It wasn't on the top of my mind. I had no connection to Chrysler. I'd somehow come up with the one stock out of 10 or 20,000 that was the number one stock. So I thought, well, I missed the boat. I should have trusted that. I should have acted on it. So I thought, I thought well, I'll just try it again. So I tried it again and waited for another inspiration. And one day I picked up the newspaper and I was flipping through and there was an ad for a, a new stock offering, a company called Ask, A-S-K, some kind of a software company. Now, I didn't know what they did except software. I had no knowledge about this company, but it just, for some reason, felt right. So I put maybe $1,000 into it. And immediately, it went up, I don't know, 10 or 20%. And I thought, wow, that happened in about two weeks. I'm a genius. If I could keep this up, look how rich I would be. I, I seem to be the smartest investor in the world. So I sold it, made my, I don't know, $200 or whatever I made. And I thought, woo, I'm a genius. <laughs> and that stock continued up to be one of the biggest story stocks of that entire year. It, it was in a very small number of stocks that were the biggest gainers for the whole year. And had I held it, it would have been a pretty good deal. So uh, after those experiences, I started thinking, hey, why don't I just try to become a famous cartoonist? <laughs> now, I didn't do it right away, but uh, when, when my corporate career eventually fizzled, which wasn't long after, uh, I started doing that affirmation. I, Scott Adams, will be a famous cartoonist. Um, the, the, I think that was the exact words. And here we are. Wow. See, that's funny. I forgot, I forgot about after reading the book. That I do was affirmations strange, every day, by the way, now. So. I forgot there was those strange coincidences. And it really does fit with like so many of our guests have, have gone on their path through like a bunch of synchronicities and strange coincidences. It really does. It does yeah. Fit. It's funny because I hadn't read, I hadn't read Scott's book in about six months or eight months since I had last looked at it. And, but I've read, well, you know, I've read about 20 other books in the last couple of months and, you know, so many of them are tapping into this, this common thread. And then, then listening to Scott's book again, kind of summed it all up. Um, before we start, start to move on, I was wondering if you could give us sort of a, I really like your approach to the, uh, the the sort of the systems versus goal-based outlooks on life and and how goals are kind of set you up to to start doubting, self-doubting, or and among other things. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain that theory to us or hypothesis to us quickly. Yeah, so one of the big uh, themes of that book that had failed almost everything and still went big is that systems are better than goals. Goals have a few problems. Uh, one of the problems is you don't really know exactly what would be your out, your best outcome. So if you pick a goal uh, in our fast-moving, ever-changing world, and let's say it takes you a few months to accomplish your goal, by the time you get there, there's a very high likelihood that something else was a better thing to have done. So you've got to be nimble, and goals uh, lock you in a little bit, and they give you tunnel vision for the goal, which is really why you have them. You 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 pick a goal so that you can focus on it. But that focus 
uh, necessarily comes out of something. And that means that you might not notice other opportunities. So that's the first problem. The, the other problem is uh, that if you're using willpower, you know, let's say you're trying to uh, improve your fitness or your diet, and you're saying, okay, my goal is to lose weight, and I'm going to do it by just putting that spoon down. I'm going to push myself away from the table. I'm going to try hard to resist that cookie. Well, we know that people don't do that very well. That's, that's a process that is very flawed. Compare that to a system in which you take it as a lifelong uh, process to learn as much as you can about which foods are better for you and which are worse. For example, if you wade into it a little bit, you would discover that pasta is better for you, at least in terms of weight, just specifically weight, than a white, plain white russet potato. Now, if you didn't know that, you would say, ah, I like potatoes, I like pasta, I'll have a potato. But once you do know that, you say, ah, I like them both the same, I'll have the pasta. It doesn't spike my blood sugar the way the potato does. And if you knew, for example, that eating peanuts is very correlated with maintaining or losing weight, because apparently they're just very satisfying, that's why eating a Snickers is somewhat satisfying. <laughs> um, if you knew that, then you would have another technique that could, could help you control your appetite. So learning what foods you enjoy that are also good over time, continuously experimenting, continuously learning, making sure you, you at least skim any article that says, hey, we learned a new thing about nutrition, at least skim it, find out what that's about. And once you have a base of knowledge about what to do and how to flavor your food so it tastes good and where to find it, uh, a body of knowledge that you've built up over the years, it becomes actually easy to maintain your weight. It's because it's, uh, you've developed just good habits and you have good knowledge about what choices to make. Uh, I noticed, for example, just sticking with the, the weight um, element of it, and by the way, this, this would apply to any category. I'm just using it for losing weight. Um, I would go out to dinner and it would be typical that you know several of the adults at the table were trying to lose weight or were at least interested in that. And, and I would look at their choices. You know, I just look at what's on their plate. And it would be completely obvious that the people trying to lose weight had no chance because they didn't know what to put on their plate. And they thought they were making good choices, but they would often be terrible choices. Um, and I'd look at the people who were thin and keeping the weight off, and their choices were all exactly the right things for someone who was trying to uh, maintain the weight or lose. And I thought, oh, my God, it's not willpower. You think it's willpower, but it's not. It's knowledge. Hmm. The people with the most knowledge, it's easy. Well, uh, once you reach some minimum level of knowledge, keeping weight off is actually fairly trivial. I found for the last, I'd say the last 15 or 20 years of my life, when I should be gaining weight, uh, you know, I reached some of my lowest weight as an adult um, and was all lean muscle. It was all based on knowledge and none of it was based on willpower. The problem I have with that or the difficulty I see is I use bacon and egg sandwich as an example. I've been eating a lot of those. But if I was eating a bacon and egg sandwich 20 years ago, bacon would have been the bad thing. you know. And between now and 20 years ago, eggs have been good and bad over time. And now bread is the bad part and bacon and eggs are the good part. Yeah. So, you know, how <laughs> yeah. do you sift through yeah. all the all the crap? So I don't think that what I've described could have worked 
even 15 years ago. Oh, okay. It's something, it's something that really only can be done in the past five-ish years because we finally figured out, you know, we're a lot smarter about what's good for you and what isn't. But what I, what I also, beyond that, I recommend that people use their body as a little, exp, you know, a lab and they just try stuff. Yeah. So if you think the keto diet, you know, you think you want to give that a, tr- a shot, I say try it. See if it works. So you may just uh, A, B, test your way into something that works independent of what the science is telling you at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it is. It is. I do think it is changing. I mean, especially with the, the health and wellness and the biohacking community and all the science that they're doing with the stuff. It really does seem to be a little clearer now. Yeah. So where do you yeah, want to? And I, also, I also advise people weigh themselves every day as part of a system. <clears throat> you know, the, the old... The old thinking was, if you look good in the mirror, you're good. But I, I think you want to catch it, you know, you want to catch one pound difference. Because if you're doing it every day, even one pound difference will actually influence what you order for lunch. And if you didn't weigh yourself, you'd, you'd think, ah, I'm okay. Well, I'll get the French fries. I'm going to start Pretty it. soon your mirror will tell you. I'm going to start it. No, but you have yeah, it. But you're, By the time your mirror tells you, it's a little too late. <laughs> That's a good point, too. Aren't they coming out with smart mirrors now? That they're going to be able to tell you when you're, like, when in your trouble? handles are getting big, yeah. Yeah, like, you're getting yeah. weight done long. <laughs> well, also, uh, health. Apparently, um, there's science now that they can look at your face and detect, actually, health problems. Wow. And smell your breath, probably, too. I think that'll be one. All kinds of things. Huh. So what do you, where do you want to go from here, Darren? I guess we should probably start. I want the other thing I want to touch on that I before we jump into the persuasion stuff is. Um, oh, hang on a sec. I have a question about the goals and the affirmations because okay, when go. you said I, it does make sense to me the systematic approach. I mean, I've had a, I've had certain jobs that it's really important to follow a system. You know, instead of having a goal to complete something in the job, following a system will get you there. But the affirmation itself sounds like a goal. Yeah, I I always recommend that people use affirmations that are general enough to give them some flexibility. Okay. So a bad affirmation is, I will make $100,000 by November. A good affirmation is, um, I will be wealthy, uh, or I will get rich, or I will get a promotion without specifying promotion to what, or I'll get a better job without specifying what job that is. So the more you can leave it open, probably the the better chance you've got. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Darren, what were you going to say? That really ties in with the Dale Carnegie stuff. It's crazy. That's cool. Yeah. And then didn't you get some of your, your um, public speaking stuff from a Carnegie course? Yeah. The Dale Carnegie course is insanely powerful. I, I recommend it to everybody. It was one of the uh, maybe, you know, top two or three, uh, educational things I've ever done. And it was just an evening course for a few hours, a few times a week, um, for a few weeks. So in terms of investment, it was small. In terms of payoff, it's just enormous, just life-changing enormity that, that never stops being important. I mean, they teach you uh, how to be comfortable in front of a crowd. Now think about how many people are afraid of talking in front of a crowd. And then think about how many people's careers and life they would have so many more uh, options if they could be the one to stand in front of the crowd and, and do it confidently. 
And, and the Dale Carnegie course also taught you how to just make a conversation with strangers, which is the most frightening thing in the world if you're an introvert, as, as I am naturally. But once you learn the technique, you start looking at people who have, have good social skills and you say, hey, they're using the technique. Now, they don't think of it as technique. It's just something they learn from probably family or friends, you know, something they learn from their, their parents. And they're just acting the way they've seen other people act. But if you didn't have that model, you don't realize that there's technique involved and it's fairly formulaic in terms of how to approach somebody comfortably and make them feel comfortable and, and, and how to do all that. So between the ability to speak in public and to also speak privately to strangers and be comfortable, it's, it's completely life-altering. Hmm. It's crazy, too. And he gets into the affirmation stuff, too. That Carnegie guy was pretty switched on. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, yeah, he was ahead of his time. I yeah. think my mom, my mom took that course in the eighties, I think. And she, and she came back, it was really, she would call it now it's mindfulness. Right. But she would say I'm internal. Like she would be, that was, I think, I don't, I think that was from the Carnegie course. I'm not sure, but she took a couple other ones too, but really trying to become present. And that's kind of where I learned about, you know, being in the moment or mindfulness. Cause she would always say like, Oh, sorry, I'm internal, which means like she's in her head that she's mm -hmm. not being present. Um, would you say that your your hypnosis course was up there on the list of um, most important things? Yeah, that's I usually put that in the top two with the Dell Carnegie course. So when you learn hypnosis, you know some of it is used directly to hypnotize people, and you know you do that to earn your certification. You've got to hypnotize a lot of a lot of uh, willing subjects. But the important part that came out of that was not that skill because it's not something you use very often but simply understanding how people are wired and specifically what I call the, the moist robot uh, view of the world. And that is the moist robot idea is that humans are essentially just wet robots, you know, the, the blood part making us wet and that they can be re reprogrammed. Uh, and there's you know, more and more science that backs that up. Um, brains are far more programmable and, modifiable than we used to imagine and now it's fairly common knowledge so learning that early allowed me to see people acting irrationally and to put it in perspective which is you know in the without the hypnosis training if i saw somebody ignoring facts and arguing some way that looked crazy or emotional i would say well if i use my facts and I've got good sources, and I use my reason and common sense, I can convince this person. That never works. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it's worked somewhere. But it so rarely works that reason and facts will change anybody's mind that until you've actually gone through a sort of a hypnosis kind of experience, experience learning it in particular, you don't understand how irrational people are and how susceptible they are to suggestion. And once you see that context, you see somebody who's literally looks crazy to you, you can say, you can tell yourself a few things. Number one, I'm not going to change their mind by my logic and my facts. It's just not going to happen. Number two, I look like that to other people. And that's a huge, a huge awareness jump. Hmm. The moment you say to yourself, uh-oh, it's not just other people. I look just like that to them. And they can't change my mind with their facts and reason either. Once you get that, 
you're you're at another level of understanding your your world and you can operate more efficiently because you understand it more clearly it gives you you know just better vision on what's really happening so when i want to influence somebody for example instead of saying here's my facts and my reasons i'll start agreeing with them it's like oh you you feel like that yeah i can see that yeah yeah the science does back up what you're saying and i'll agree with as much of it as possible until they feel comfortable with me and we have some trust because you can't communicate at all until you develop trust because otherwise people will hear your words and they'll say, yeah, you're lying to me or yeah, you're just saying that because, or you don't really believe that they have to trust you before they trust the words and can actually hear them the way, the way you're presenting them. So I will first build trust. And then that's just one of the tools of persuasion. There are lots of others, but then I'll you know, dip into my toolbox to figure out what to do from that point on. But it is a completely different approach than the old approach where I thought, well, people are basically rational. So if I give them a good reason and a good argument, I'm going to change their mind. It never happens. How important is it to be for you to agree with them on the stuff that you genuinely agree with? Or, or do, you, do you just fake your way through agreeing with stuff that you don't really agree with? Like, is that something that you have to, you know, keep in mind? It's really hard to fake that. So what I do is I try to find some way that I can agree with it. Honestly, genuinely. Yeah. yeah. People will pick it up. If you're not genuine on that, they'll, they'll sense it. People are pretty good at sensing um, somebody who's trying to pull one over on them. So the, the trick, the trick, if you will, with pacing is that it's not a trick. The trick is you say things that are true. Yeah. If you if you say things that are not true and you're trying to pace, yeah, that's probably going to blow up on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. So, go, Darren, do you want to touch on something, or I can keep going? On no, you go thing? ahead. You go, so, keep going. So that's one of the things I appreciate about listening to your your you know your coffee talks and and some of your other stuff is that common sense approach to how we're being persuaded. You know, and and the, and you can see from both sides that the persuasion is happening on both sides. And there's a middle where the facts are very, very hard to find. And the, and people can just take what they want from their side to reinforce their worldview. And then, and they're off on that side. And then there's other people taking information from that same thing and reinforcing their view on the other side. And I really appreciate your, your, your sort of middle approach. I mean, I don't know if you would consider that, but that's the way I feel about it. Well, keep in mind also that we're, we're alive in an amazing time because that, when that Yanni versus Laurel audio illusion started sweeping the, the world you know, and everybody was listening to it, that was one of those times where people could see that they, there could be two movies playing on the same screen and it doesn't mean one of you is crazy. You, that, uh, that was a point where people thought, oh my goodness, my reality is more subjective than I ever imagined because, you know, I'm standing right next to somebody who's having a completely different experience hearing exactly the same sound and interpreting it differently. And then you take that into the, you know, you take what you've learned from that into the real world, you know, the the larger world. And you look at, for example, you know, uh, the FISA warrant for Carter Page now it's complicated and you have to kind of be a lawyer to understand it. And there's lots of redactions. So when you have such a gray area possibility, what you observed was people confidently saying this document proves my side and that the other side is wrong. And the other side would say, you can look right at the document. It proves I'm right. And you're wrong. 
both of them looking at the same document with completely different interpretations. In the old days, I would have said, oh, okay, that's one of those sides knows they're lying, but they're just protecting their, their brand or their side or trying to win. Yep. That's the old way I used to look at it. A, a more enlightened way to look at it is both sides are absolutely honest. That's what they see. They actually see two completely different realities on the same page, just like Yanni and Laurel. And once you understand that that's the normal way of the world, it's not the exception. You know, that Yanni and Laurel thing, if you learn something from it, you learn that that's the typical way your entire perception of reality goes. You, you've developed your own little brand of reality that probably doesn't have as much in common with somebody else's as you imagine it would. Yeah. And once you realize that, you're, you, know, you just operate at a higher level. And the problem is most of these headline stories and all the all the things that are, you know, in our in our social media and all that is full of ambiguity. I mean, they're prime suspects for this this uh, this problem. Yeah, I, I predicted a couple of years ago when Trump entered the election cycle. I said this is going to be bigger than politics, <laughs> and I said this a number of times because I wanted people to remember I had said it, and I kept saying. He's not going to just change politics. He's going to change the way we view reality itself. And in particular, you're going to figure out the facts don't matter for our perceptions and our decisions like you think they do. Now, they totally, facts, of course, matter to the outcomes. If you walk in front of a truck, the truck hits you, you're dead. But in terms of deciding whether to cross the street or not, you're probably not using anything like reason or logic but if I put a gun to your head, your head and said, are you using reason and logic? You would say, I sure am. Bam. <laughs> As, because it's a lie. You're, you know, it's not a lie. It's just a bad perception. You're, you think you're logical, but you're not. My, my favorite example is common sense. You hear this phrase all the time. So, well, so-and-so has common sense or doesn't have common sense or should have common sense. But if there were a thing called common sense, it wouldn't be common. We would agree on a lot more things because <laughs> I'm pretty sure there are plenty of adults, you know, above some IQ, you know, some minimum IQ that have this thing called common sense. And we can look at the same facts and apply our common sense and get, you know, diametrically opposed interpretations. So common sense is a complete hallucination. Nothing <laughs> like that exists in reality. But we all we're all under the impression that not only does it exist, but thank God I got some. Like I feel sorry for those poor people who didn't get any of that common sense, but I'm full of it. Everything I do makes sense to me. I wonder if there's people out there that are that, that think they don't have it. They're like, I, have, <laughs> I don't have the common sense. I'm not there. They're just at that level of yeah. They're just like, like God, <laughs> I know it. I know I'm fucked. Yeah. And the weird thing is, you know, somebody who maybe wasn't very smart might actually say that, but in a weird way, they'd be ahead of a lot of the world just yeah. with that realism alone. So do you think like, so that's, that's kind of divisible, I guess, into, as you take certain factors out, you can kind of get into, start going from 7 billion different dimensions or movies playing to... You know, like how many different dimensions do you think exist in America right now? Is it 350 million, one for each person? Like it's, it's definitely seems to be more than just the right and the left these days, but it seems like, you know, P 
people are using the exact same evidence to use both sides of or three different sides of an argument. Yeah, there, there's certainly a different flavor for every human because we're all filtering the world through our personal experiences. That's, that's where our filters get built by experience because we think we're good at pattern recognition, but we're actually terrible at it. So we think, well, this the last three times I did this, I got this outcome. That must be, I guess there's a reason. I'll do that again. But we're terrible at, at knowing the difference between confirmation bias, coincidence, luck, other factors. We're just terrible at that. So we're, we're walking around confused all the time. But as far as the left and right go, uh, it's very rare that you'll encounter somebody who expresses a political opinion and you can't identify it as being exactly what you heard on CNN or exactly what you heard on Fox News. So almost never do you encounter somebody whose idea you, th you think, well, I've never heard that before about you know, the president or the government or any big policy. Every opinion seems to be suspiciously close to what the media closest to your, your side is, is uh, framing. So that should be your first hint that we don't have free will and logic and common sense in the way we've always imagined we do. Uh, but, you know, you show me the people who have independent political opinions that don't sound exactly like the talking heads. And then I'd say, well, maybe that person has something extra going on there. We talked a little bit before we started recording about like just watching the news. I mean, that's something that you do is you deconstruct the news and you obviously keep a, you try to keep a, a partial view of it, but, but how does that, how do you not let that affect you? I mean, I, I have a hard time. I get pretty discouraged and I know, you know, there's, a, there's people on each side expressing their views honestly, because that's what they believe. But then there's also, a, you know, a side of, of deception and, and purposeful, you know, bullshitting and lying there. Like, how do you, how do you separate all that? How do you stay somewhat detached with appreciation to that? You know, I, I, I don't think I could do it. Well, have you noticed, uh, and I'll answer your question, it'll sound like I'm not here for a moment. Have you noticed that President Trump, who is the most criticized human who has ever lived, who isn't named actually Hiller, um, the most criticized person in the world, he always seems to be in a good mood. Have you ever noticed that? Like somehow it doesn't seem to affect him. Now, what you said was some version of that for me as well. And I would say, I, absolutely, the, the news doesn't get me down. Even bad news doesn't get me down. But both the president and I had the same uh, childhood uh, influence, which was Norman Vincent Peale, who was uh, a great author who wrote The Power of Positive Thinking, which is what I employ, which is just making sure my thoughts are oriented toward positive things. And you see the president doing exactly the same thing. Norman Vincent Peale, beyond being one of the most influential authors in American history, was also, by weird coincidence, President Trump's uh, childhood pastor at his church. So he got to hear this message up close and from the source. And there's no way that didn't affect him because you can, you can see Norman Vincent Peale's uh, fingerprints all over President Trump. I mean, he is just unnaturally positive about how well things are going to go. Now, he also has a good uh, persuasion talent stack, so he knows that acting positive in that way yeah. actually gets things to move that way. So creating things through optimism. The economy is the best example. If you think it's going to go well, 
you invest today because you don't want to miss out on all this good stuff that's going to happen. And it's the investing today that actually makes it go well. Yeah. So if, so if you can convince everybody, hey, things are going great now and they're going to go greater tomorrow, then it, it actually happens. So he's actually willing into existence things that weren't going to happen on their own, literally by thinking them into existence and persuading enough people to think in the same direction that they act on it. And that's, that's uh, a big part of the reason that um, I, I imagined he would be successful. He has that talent. Yeah. Um, Is that when you join the alt-right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't talk about the alt-right. I'm, I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> I'm not even. Sure, I'm not even sure they exist anymore. I feel like nobody is. They're part of the all right anymore. But I never was. I'm. I'm a uh, socially um, left of Bernie, but I do appreciate the president's uh, powers of persuasion. Uh, so you know, it's it's not an accident that he and I have an unnatural ability to withstand intense criticism and bad news and potential doom. A lot of that has to do with um, a preference to keep our minds on a positive, positive kind of a plane. Hmm. <laughs> I was joking, by the way. <laughs> we we've been accused of alt right more than once around here for just talking about. You, if you say Trump, you get in trouble these days. So you're saying I should read this book? We actually have the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale on the shelf, and I haven't read it yet. Should I put that to the front of my pile? You know, I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, so I don't know if it holds up in terms of the, you know, the modern mind and whether it's written in a way that, that you would find compatible. Certainly for a historical perspective, you should definitely, you know, dig into it a little bit. But there are probably, you know, my book, How to Fail, captures a lot of the, you know, most of it. of it. Tony Robbins would be the, the modern prophet of that way of thinking. Um, you know, the, the summary of Tony Robbins, uh, uh, act, if you can call it that. And by the way, Tony Robbins is a real thing. I, I haven't taken his course, but I know enough about what he does. He, he also has a background that, that traces back to the same hypnotists where I got my training, at least in terms of influence, not the actual person. And what he does is teaches people how to change their minds to, to change the world. You know, if you get your mind right, then, then things start working out for you. And that's, that's very real and very powerful. And people who go to his courses will tell you it does change them. And this has been going on for like, I've got a book here that I read the game of life and how to play it by Florence Scoville Shin. And that's like early 1900 stuff. She's talking about the exact same stuff. I'll, I'll forward that to you there. Really? See what, yeah. It's there's, there's people yeah, writing feel, about that a long time ago. Yeah. I feel like there are some things that get just rediscovered every every few years and, and then there's a new book. Um, but yes, people have been onto this for a long time. Yeah. You know, so, it's funny. I, I predicted uh, a president Trump very early as well. I got a lot of shit for it. A lot of shit. And, uh, but I just, I honestly, I just, I don't know what it was, but for some reason, I mean, I don't know any, I, I didn't know any of the stuff you knew. I just guessed, but for some reason, as soon as I seen him, do a couple of those things. I was like, this guy's just going all the way, man. There's no fucking stopping him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you can pick up on his charisma pretty quickly. And, uh, that's, you know, that was a good indicator. You know, now there's, uh, the young politician, um, 
whose name I can never remember, uh, Alexandra Octavia Cortez. Yeah, something like that. And people are asking me, hey, is she the next master persuader, as as I've labeled Trump? And I've said yes, but untrained, meaning that she has the raw material and she's likely to pick up skills as she goes. But one of the tells for that is that although she is, you know, by any objective standard, she's somewhat insignificant because it's a, you know, a minor office that she hasn't even been elected to yet. Um, but people can't stop t- talking about her, and even the right, who are her natural enemies, can't stop talking about how they have to stop her. And she hasn't done anything yet. She just has that Trump-like um, charisma that you can't look away. And that's probably 50% of persuasion is making sure that people will focus on what you want them to focus on and not what somebody else wants you to focus on. Focus is you know, by far the, the biggest element of persuasion. And if somebody can control your, your thoughts and make you think about what they want you to think about, and she can do that, then you have to be really worried if you're on the other team. So uh, I think Republicans need to be really worried if she if she keeps accumulating skills. She doesn't have the she doesn't have the full stack yet, but I see nothing that would stop her from getting one. So what about uh the main the mainstream media and, and how you know we talked about how negative it is against Trump. And over the last couple of years when you've been watching this, when you're seeing that, is it I feel like they're they're gonna if they continue on this path, they're just gonna it's gonna blow up in their face. Like everything they they get upset about Trump for you can look back and you can see Obama or Clinton or both Clintons or somebody else saying that even worse. Like I feel like in this day and age when somebody can pull a clip together of you know showing the exact opposite of what they're saying, it's it's got to start falling You're apart. Assuming humans are rational. Well. But if you look at uh, recent experiences and you just say, okay, did President Trump do something good and useful for North Korea? Everybody in the right would say, well, duh, obviously, you know, we're, we're about ready to nuke each other. Now we're just making friends and, you know, maybe we'll get some people back and we got hostages back and everybody's talking friendly. We're even talking about reunification of all things. We've got Russia on our side. On her side, like just about everything is heading in the right direction in North Korea, and it'll take a long time. If even in the best of worlds, it's going to take a long time to build trust and actually get it there. But if you ask somebody who's an anti-Trumper what happened in North Korea, they'll say, "Well, Trump got played. He got played. How embarrassing!" And I'll say, "What? What news are you watching?" Because to me, it looks like every single thing is heading in the right direction. And they'll say things like, well, look at all the things we gave up. You know, we, we gave them uh, prestige for nothing. We stopped doing our war games for nothing. We got nothing out of that. And I'll say, you realize that both sides have given absolutely nothing that can't be taken back in a heartbeat. In other words, nobody has given anybody anything. But both sides have done a number of uh, confidence-building moves that are really about getting to know you. So remember I talked earlier about before you can communicate, you have to build trust. So these little things they're doing that are easily reversible, like maybe uh, North Korea will blow up a facility that wasn't that important to begin with. Maybe we'll say we won't do war games. 
but we weren't going to do them until the fall anyway. You know, and we could ramp them up anytime we want. We've given Kim Jong-un, you know, great respect on the world stage, but President Trump could, you know, pull that rug out anytime it had to be pulled out. You know, he could go back to not respected in, you know, in a day and a half. So nobody's given up anything. But in terms of the trust building exercises of, well, I'll do a little bit here. I will honestly try to help you get some some of the veteran, uh, you know, the bodies back, the fallen. Uh, We'll say, let's we'll do something symbolic, too. Those are all very important for building the trust. And that that looks like hugely, hugely uh, positive steps. But if you think if, if you say to yourself, well, clearly there will be these objective things that happen where you can say to the other side, see, I told you it was going to go this way. The other side is not going to say, well, yeah, you got a good point. I see the facts. It's very objective. They're going to say, oh, no, you're looking at the wrong facts. You know, you're, you've, you've looked in the wrong direction. Everything is just the way I said it would go. And at any moment now, North Korea is going to nuke us or some ridiculous thing. So I would almost give up on the thought that people are going to see the facts the way you see them. It's unlikely that that's going to happen for the majority of people, certainly not for the media, because the media's business model requires them to be to take a side and not, not the side of truth. So the best you could probably do, and I guess the good news is that the, company, the country is so evenly split that if you can move, oh, maybe 2% of the people yeah. from one camp to the other, well, you're president. If you can move 2% to the other camp, well, you can get some big bills passed through Congress. So you don't have to influence everybody, which is a good thing because most people are just immovable. There's no amount of facts or argument that's going to change them at all. But there are enough people who weren't paying attention. They weren't invested. They didn't have any emotion in it who are just sort of tuning in and tuning out. And if they tune in at the time you've got the better argument, maybe you sway them. Hmm. What what about the ex- escalation of the polarization though? I mean, I do I do worry, and I'm we're sitting up here in Canada, and you know Darren hasn't been paying attention lately to the the mainstream. I'm sort of trying to keep it keep attention on it a little bit, without getting too disturbed. But but I feel like it, there's a chance that it's going to escalate even more. I mean, and, and especially when there's the violence is starting to happen and it's not being called out by the leaders on, you know, on either side, especially the left. I mean, to me that there's, there's no excuse in, in, in violence that's not in self-defense and nobody's, nobody's calling them out. So how, how can that keep happening without uh, getting to some? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, uh, this will be the point where I'll regret saying this. Oh, something sorry, I sorry, you don't have to say anything. <laughs> No, not, no, I was waiting for the right time. Maybe okay. this is the right time. Okay. I'll try this out. Okay. You know, the two parties have brands, and those brands shift over time. Right now, Republicans are sort of a, a Trump brand at the moment. They didn't start out that way. And, and the, the anti-Trumpers have, I think, accidentally developed a, a brand where uh, Trump's brand is America first, and the anti-Trumpers – this is the part I'm going to get in trouble for. <laughs> it's, what, it's women first. Now, I'm not saying that is a negative, but I'm saying that if you looked at uh, the, the people that they're most likely to um, put forward as their leaders, you know, there's the Hillary's, there's the Pelosi's, 
the the Warrens, the um, uh, Maxine Waters. Kamala Harris. Yeah, vaccine orders. So it's a very female-centric brand, and a lot of their issues from abortion to birth control, et cetera, have a, a specific female uh, element to it, you know, more female than male. And um, the Trump brand are the ones who are armed to the teeth, and they prefer, you know, beards and muscles and, you know, sort of pickup trucks kind of thing. Now, of course, these are gigantically gross generalizations. But here's my point. Have you noticed that the right, the Republicans, the conservatives, don't seem to be fighting back? And that all of the agitation, the the craziness, and even the violence, which, you know, fortunately most of that is not has not been deadly violence. It's somebody grabs a hat, throws it, throws a you know, a soft drink in somebody's face, etc. And the right, which has far more firepower in every possible way is holding off completely. And I think the good news is because they feel the power imbalance. In other words, you know, if, if somebody who's three feet tall walks up to you and punches you, you never hit them back. It just doesn't occur to you that that would even be, you know, one of the options. And I think that the left, their brand is not strength. In other words, they, they've got a compassionate brand. Let's put it that way. The right has more of a tough brand. So as long as most of the, uh, the troublemaking is coming from the compassionate people who are, who are really, are, are, they're acting out and of compassion. Yeah. In other words, they think we've got to do something about these bad people on the right to yeah. save the children in cages, to you know, have health care. So it's a compassion-based emotional turns into a little bit of physical outpouring. But I think the people on the right who have the power right now in terms of electoral power, and, and I think they just feel confident because if, if the two sides were more evenly matched in, in at least this emotional power kind of way, that would be super dangerous. But am I wrong? It looks like the right is completely, have you seen anybody in the right take a weapon out? No, but that's what, that's exactly what, what kind of worries me is that we're getting to a point where, you know, if somebody pokes you in the ribs too many times, eventually you're just going to hammer them. So like, you know, that's what worries me. Like it's got, yeah, but I, I don't doubt that that could happen in, in a onesie twosie situation. You know, right, right. There, there's somebody who's going to flip and, and go get the gun out of the truck. All right. There, there's a good chance that that could happen, but you haven't seen anything even close to that, like not even a hint of that on the right. And that's all good news because the right are the people who say, I'm not going to take my gun out unless it's self-defense. Like short of that, it stays in the gun safe, the lock stays on, and I want to keep my guns. That's why I'm going to play it right. I'm going to play it you know, down the middle. I'm not going to threaten people who aren't threatening me. Um, and I think they just feel confident. So I think the, the left's brand protects them because it's compassionate. There's a sort of a female first vibe to it. You know, it's men and women, of course, but there's, there's a female centric element to it that actually probably makes the chances of real violence on a large scale. I think as close to zero as it could possibly get now. And again, the odds of individual people getting out of control is high but the odds of anything like a civil war, or, you know, mass civil unrest, 
almost impossible because that requires two sides to fight and only one side has any, any interest in. Okay. That's a good point. Yeah. That's really good. Interesting. That is, and that is going to get you in trouble. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's okay though. I like it. I think whatever starts, I think Portland could happen. Something could happen in Portland one day. For sure. I wouldn't go to Portland if I was you. Yeah. I mean, the, the odds, uh, I've actually stopped appearing in public because of the danger. And um, I don't know if this is just my personality, but when I think about somebody, you know, attacking me, I'm really thinking I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> I'm not really thinking about what's going to happen to me. Yeah. Cause I, I yeah. have some weird feeling that I'll always be okay. Yeah. You know, it's rational, but I, that's, that's the feeling, but I do worry that I could hurt somebody else if they gave me a good reason. So I don't appear in public cause I don't want to put myself in that position. Um, I've got one exception coming up, but uh, it's for a good reason. Huh. So is that kind of, that kind of leads us into your, your daily coffee talk, um, that kind of thing. So is that sort of what you do on that? You want to describe to people now that, you know, you're on podcast format. Like I wanted to get your take on that. Actually, we want to talk about the medium of podcasting. I heard, I heard a clip of you on the no agenda show and, and Darren and I were like, well, we should try and contact Scott again. Cause he's, he's, I, I don't know if he's, you know, realizing it now, or he's definitely getting into podcasting and, the type of medium it is. I mean, when I found out I could learn about almost anything I want in the world for free while I'm driving or doing the dishes or whatever, I mean, that was like, I had this sort of addiction to learning things through, through podcasting. So now you're putting your, you know, your daily, you know, your daily coffee talk on there. And you want to talk a little bit about how you do that and deconstruct the news and you kind of involve people in, in a live way, but then also put it in the, in the feed that's going to reach probably many more people eventually. Yeah. So the technology platform I'm using is something called Periscope for people who don't know that it's a, it's a video streaming product that's associated with Twitter. And uh, you just have to turn on your, your phone or your device and you're live to the world or at least the people who want to want to watch you. And it's extremely personal because the comments are streaming by and I'm interacting with the comments as I see them, but otherwise I'm presenting you know, my ideas and it's super casual. I don't have a length that it needs to be, which is very powerful yep. because you know, the big problem with TV news, for example, is that they, they argue and then they run out of time and then you <laughs> learn nothing. Yeah. So and, yeah, it's the great power of the podcast forum and the, the Periscope forum is that you're done whenever you think you're done. That's it. You know, however long that takes. And the, the, the other thing is, uh, the timing of it. So I try to front run the day's news. You know, I don't front run all of it, but I, you know, I'm at seven in the morning on the, the, the West coast. So it's early enough in the morning that if I do a good job of framing a topic, there's a good chance it's going to influence other people. Now, most of the major uh, news organizations follow me or have people who follow me um, on, on Periscope. So if I come up with a good way to frame a topic uh-huh. Uh, it, it is the, the larger conversation and it does it seamlessly because I got there first and it was a frame that once you hear it, you go, Oh yeah, that's, that's actually a pretty good way to describe that. Now that doesn't mean I do that every day, but that's the power of the medium that, uh, a person just sitting literally in my pajamas 
They, oh, I, don't, I, ha- I don't want to shave. I haven't brushed my teeth yet. I'm in my pajamas and I just have my cup of coffee and turn it on. And uh, I've, I've uh, said that uh, power in the world from sort of 2016 on isn't really political power in the old way it used to be. And it isn't money in the way it used to be. Although obviously the, those are still sources of power, but the new form of power that's developing could be expressed as a product of how, how influential you are in terms of your tools. You know, do you have the technique of influence times the size of your platform? You know, how many Twitter followers, how many Periscope followers, Facebook, et cetera. So um, I've got quarter million uh, Twitter followers and most of the major media follows me on Periscope. And so if I say something good, you using my persuasive ways, it's, it's super powerful. And I can see things that I've framed rippling through the, uh, the headlines all the time. Um, so that's the exciting part is that it's real, it's personal. Uh, you know, it's, it feels like friends when I'm, when I'm on there. I see all my old friends and their comments. Uh, but yet it's, it's super impactful if I do it right. And, you know, I don't do it right every time, but every now and then uh, I can add something to the, uh, I like to call it adding something to the uh, portfolio of thoughts to add a little diversity in terms of, you know, just a new way of looking at things. Specifically, I look at things through the persuasion filter, as I call it. And that's, that's sort of a, uh, a, a lens that most of the normal media doesn't use. So I feel it's additive. Can you teach us how to persuade people to support the show? <laughs> um, yes, they, they should support you because you're a show. Um, that, that actually was a persuasion sentence. Uh, the, the book uh, Influence teaches that people hear the word because, and they think that's a reason, even if what follows the word because is complete nonsense. So what I said was they should support you because you're a show doesn't mean it makes no sense at all but you know history would show that if you put that as a tagline you would get more results than if you just said please support me that's <laughs> good to know you can't just trail off with we, because we never throw fucking because in there <laughs> no brainer that's 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 gold that's the number one. yeah that's that's perfect um so part of the way i i sold my how to fail book is in my blog when i was doing a lot more blogging I would always have a tagline at the end where I would do a different because, and I'd say, you should buy my book because it's Tuesday or whatever. And people were in on the joke pretty early because I explained what I was doing, but it, but it still worked. I think at that time I was tweeting you saying why you should come on the show because that was when I first started my, my, uh, your tweet storm, my tweet storm on Scott Adams. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, before we run out of time, I was wondering, because you've been talking about a couple terms that have popped up into the lexicon now and are pretty pretty popular, but I mean, you've been talking about some of these terms since before they were in the mainstream or in the ether, and uh, their cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias. And I was wondering if you could give our audience kind of a quick rundown of, of what those look like. Yeah, like you said... W- it seems like everybody's using those words now, at least writers and pundits. The, the, they became common in the world of Trump. And it's because of that, the, 
people realizing that the facts are not having the impact that they think facts should have. And confirmation biases are, are human uh, bias to interpret all new information as coincidentally being exactly confirming of our original idea. So uh, using the North Korea example, the people who think that President Trump will fail say, well, look, he got nothing. And Kim Jong-un played him for a fool. And the people who think that he's that the president is talented and knows how to do this stuff say, look at all the progress. They're already talking nice and you can see them, you know, making progress. So uh, confirmation bias is interpreting all new evidence as supporting what, what you already thought. The way you wish the world worked is that new information would at least sometimes change people's minds, but it happens so rarely. And, and indeed, if you're looking for when it happens and when it doesn't, if there's no emotion in a decision, facts work really well and they will change people's opinions. Mm. But the moment there's a little bit of emotion, we become unmovable. And unfortunately, all the big questions have emotion. So everything in politics, everything in our personal life, everything in our career, those are all emotional. So in those cases, facts just don't work. But if you're talking to your mechanic and the mechanic says, hey, you know, you got to do this or that, those are probably facts and they probably will change what your decision is. You're going to take the cheap one that works. Um, cognitive dissonance, the other term you're hearing more of, uh, that's um, the best way to explain that is that when there's something that you observe in the real world that counters something you believe to be true, especially if it's something you th thought about yourself. So for example, if you thought you were a smart person who knew things and then uh, information was presented to you that you were completely wrong about something, just unambiguously totally wrong, uh, it is normal and routine. And in fact, the most common experience for people to uh, just have a weird hallucination that makes it all work again. So for example, if somebody made a bad decision to take a job in which they had a two hour commute each way, the real reason they did that maybe is they didn't think it through. But since they think they're smart people, once that, that truth becomes evident and people say, why are you, why did you take a job with a two hour commute? That person is unlikely to say, you know, I just didn't think about it. I guess I was dumb because that would conflict with who they think they are. They're far more likely to say and actually believe it. This is the key point. They believe it. They say, you know, I really like listening to podcasts and it gives me four hours a day to enjoy my podcast while I'm in the car. <laughs> now, anybody listening into that would say to themselves, that's either crazy or it's a lie. But it's not either of those things. It's just the normal way people process inconsistencies with what, how they think the world should be with the evidence that's right in front of them. So when, for example, uh, President Trump unexpectedly won the election, all the people who said that can't ever happen were triggered into cognitive dissonance. And what did they say? Did they say, huh, I guess the polls were underestimating the number of people. They didn't say, I guess that President Trump did a better job than I thought. They said nothing like that. Those would have sounded like normal, typical, factual, even if it's wrong, they would have seemed like normal, factual things. What did they say? It was Russia. I think Putin did it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think Putin got him elected. Now, 
I'm not doubting that Putin was messing with our elections. I'm sure all the, the major countries are messing with each other's elections and processes all the time. So I take that as a given that there's messing on going on in all directions. But you can't really identify what percentage of the outcome was because of anything Russia did. And when I looked at their Facebook ads, if you look at the actual ads themselves, they're so laughably poor that anybody who understands persuasion would say, all right, I'm pretty sure these ads didn't make a difference. And uh, I feel pretty confident in saying that at least the ads made no difference at all. Can you make an ad that would make a difference? You can, um, but people are not good at, at nailing that on the first try. So someone who knew persuasion, knew marketing, knew, knew sales, you know, they're all related things. They could, come up to, they could come up with some advertising ideas that they don't know which one would work the best, but they're all sort of at least reasonable. They use the technique. And then the next part is you just test it because in, our, in the age of the internet, you can test all your messages you know, within five minutes and you'll have an actual useful result Yeah, because people will click on it or not click on it. So it's the A-B testing, as it's called. You just continually, rapidly test stuff is where all the, the real power comes from, is the ability to test rapidly and adjust. Or, or you could just get a bunch of dead people to vote and people that are in the country illegally. That's a good way to influence elections, too. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, that's harder, yeah. Way to go, Graham. <laughs> I had to say it. <laughs> There's more massive on the other side, <laughs> believe me. You think so? Yeah. What, um, you, you mentioned that book influence. Do you have any books, um, books you've read over your lifetime other than, other than of course yours that, uh, you kind of think people should read maybe like three books you think we should read? Yeah. Um, the up to influence is just as good. It's called pre-suasion, P-R-E dash suasion. And uh, if you recall back in the summer of 2016, when suddenly everybody on the Clinton campaign side, including all the pundits that were their favorite, started simultaneously using the word dark. They said, that's a dark speech by that. Trump. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a dark vision. Well, that's an example of persuasion because if you're thinking about dark as a word, it brings with it every evil, bad thing, every scary movie, every monster, every bad thought. And then you say, well, his speech was dark. Uh, the you know all of the bad feelings gets transferred over to the the target of your persuasion, so that was probably straight out of the book Persuasion, and either was somebody who studied under uh, Robert Cialdini, the author, or or it could have been him. We don't know. I'm going to look at my bookshelf for the actual uh, names of these books. Uh, you want to read Impossible to Ignore by Dr. Carmen Simon. It teaches you how to do presentation. And, and essentially, not just presentations, but how to be memorable. Teaches you how to stick out and stick in people's memory. Now, you can't persuade anybody if they don't remember you. So you need to be memorable. You have to get their attention. And that book teaches you how to do that. I, I use those techniques all the time. They're very powerful. Um, you want uh, Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, which teaches you a lot about how the, how the brain works. You want a book by Charles Duhigg, a New York Times uh, writer, who wrote Habit, H-A-B-I-T, uh, Habit. 
and that teaches you how to uh, how to solve your own habits that you don't realize are habits, and also how to build habits that are useful, which is tremendously powerful and fits very much with the hypnosis and, and the systems you know, re- retraining your brain kind of theme. So those, um, I think those books would be the, the superstars in that space. And then can you talk about your, your next book as well? Or can you say anything about that? I uh, can't talk about the next one. I've written uh, all of three chapters and you know, my, okay. my writing process is such that it could end up with a different theme than I started. <laughs> so okay. uh, I don't want to give away too much. Okay. But there is another one to look forward to anyways, right? <clears throat> At some point. Uh, Yes. Okay. If, I, if yeah. I'm lucky enough to finish it, and I expect I will. Yes. Right on. Um, one other thing. So you you were you've been talking about um, podcasts and the new medium a little bit lately. I was just kind of wondering what podcast you're listening to. Well, Joe Rogan is always always a favorite. Um, uh, you know, I haven't I haven't listened to as many podcasts as I want to. So I'm I've decided to actually do more of that. I, I kind of love listening to one or two people having a conversation with my headphones on because you can walk around the house and it just feels like, you know, you're not lonely. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. It, it, it's so personal because of the, the rawness of it. If you listen to, let's say broadcast news, well, today's news, you know, something blew up uh, news at 11. It doesn't feel personal. It, yeah. It's just uh, talking to the crowd, but the podcast feel just like you're having a conversation with your friends and, you know, they can't hear you when you talk. Um, so Sam Harris has a, has a great one, very popular. Um, and um, Greg Gutfeld has a great podcast. Um, I, I think uh, yeah, I'll stick with those as my recommendations for now. Can I make a prediction? Why? In about a year or two, Scott won't be able to handle the mainstream news anymore because he'll be listening to podcasts, podcasts. and then going back there will be just like, like you know, fingernails on a chalkboard. Oh, and your new podcast will be huge too. It's going to just get massive. You know, I, I watch the news the same reason that President Trump does, which <laughs> is the, you know, and he samples both sides, you know, CNN and Fox, because they do a good job of not only synthesizing you know, the news and sort of packaging it and making it, you know, bite-sized. But it also gives you an immediate idea how people are responding to the different ideas. Yeah. You know, if, if somebody on one of the networks frames an issue this way, you can almost immediately tell if that will play in the whole country just by watching the pundits and the, the hosts, you know, deal with it. So it's hugely valuable to understand, you know, how the, the two major networks, news networks in particular, um, frame things. Yeah. Yeah, well, I point. should. I'd, I'd be. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you should check out uh, the No Agenda show. They definitely been. They definitely love your show. They play a lot of it over there, and they're they're one of the more popular ones, I would say. Um, very very similar. Deconstructing the media. Deconstructing the media. Yeah, I think you. Yeah. I think you'd like what they do over there, and they've they've got to be closing in on a million listeners over there. And uh, you got to check out the Grimerica show. I hear it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hear only good things. Right on. So we should probably let let you go there, Scott. Uh, I think unless you want to say anything else, but I think we've covered everything. It's been great. We really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about your old stuff and the, the stuff that's really influenced us, you know, over the last few years. 
Yeah, and uh, I'll give you a tease. There's some really good stuff coming between now and the end of the year. That's all I'm going to tell you. Nice. Perfect. I like that. Do you have any um, closing thoughts for our listeners? Well, um, I would say listen to more podcasts and uh, try to keep a positive long view. And uh, and if you feel that you're getting tense because of all the craziness in the news and people getting too excited, just remind yourself that all the things you thought were the end of the world a year ago were not the end of the world, but you were pretty sure they would be. You're probably in that same situation right now, that things look more important than they possibly could be. Things look more dangerous than they really are. And you could probably just relax a little bit because things are going pretty well right now. Perfect. I like it. Nice and positive. Keep it upbeat. Well, thanks a bunch, Scott. We appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, come back anytime. You're always, you got an open invitation. Great. I love it. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, okay. buddy. Okay. Uh, and sorry, you can't see our video. That kind of sucks. But, yeah. We had, uh, we had a problem waving. with the new, uh, with the new browser. So yeah. It's always something. Yeah. Okay. It's always well, something. See you later. Okay. Okay. Ciao for now. All right. Take care. Bye. And that was a chat with uh, the one and only Scott Adams. What'd you think, buddy? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it's a good one. Of I was course. a little nervous for that one, of course, but uh, it was good to I was talk actually, to I got to admit, I was a little nervous for that wow. one, too. Yeah, a little bit. Darren, nervous. And that, you know why? Because you've read his books and you prepped more than normal. That That's can, probably uh, why. That could that be why. That make you a bit nervous. And because I've been chasing him down for, for a long time. Yep. And yeah, that, that, that it all kind of ties in. I mean, God, the guy created Dilbert. Right? And I kind of wanted to Isn't video- Dilbert in like 4,000 different newspapers around the world? Pretty crazy. Yeah. I remember reading Dilbert. Yeah, way back when it was good. Yeah, I didn't want to like make that the thing because we, you know, that wasn't really what. No, uh, it's got nothing to do with us what influenced much. us. Yeah, but, but yeah. I really do like his new, his new. It's good that it's in, in podcast format now. I'm really happy about that. Yeah, it's a lot easier to consume that way than Periscope. Periscope's yeah. tough. Yeah, because sometimes I crave his uh, that sort of uh, I, what I feel like is just a different take on what's going on in the current events. That's right. So yeah, that was uh, a good one. One for the books. Uh, support the show because, because we'd like you to support the show. And because if you don't, we're going to have to do all sorts of stuff we don't want to do. And <laughs> we don't want to do that. So just support the show because we're a show. Okay. We'll think of another one next time. Yeah. Send in your becauses. Yeah. That's a good one. You know what? I'll put out a fucking tweet and a Facebook thing that says, why do you support the show? Because and we'll and get a, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll see what people say and then we'll have. Oh, infinite well, number of uh, yeah, things to won't use. be infinite, but we'll get a few anyway. Um, <clears throat> so support the show, slash support uh, It is uh, really is the only way you're going to hear these sorts of conversation is in the podcast format. It's, it's really the only way. And if you don't support them, then it makes it tough. That's true. So yeah. do what you can when you can, and uh, join the chats, slash chats and get off the social media. I just found. A, I just thought of another reason to support the show, like because. a real one. Because if, if, like you said, if podcasts don't get supported, eventually, like I'm surprised he's even allowed on Twitter in a way. I mean, so many there's so much banning oh, yeah, and stuff could, going on Twitter and happen. YouTube that eventually we could be shut down. We'll be licensed or something, and we will need an infrastructure, need a support network to keep going. Really, yeah, and it's best to have and it. People without that will not be able to continue. That's right. 
So if we ever need to start doing our self-hosting, it's nice to be in the position to be out in front of all that stuff. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. To support the show because. All right, guys. uh, Check out the show notes. Do all the stuff in there. Support the show. Rate the show. Share the show. It has some fucking good vibes for your weekend. All right, guys. The positive long view. There you go. I like that. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Feel like broke down at your mama. Can't even find the words to speak. Feel like broke down engine papa. They ran in my cloudy mind all week. Blank stares from some of these people. Don't let the zombies get a hold of you. Blank stares from some of these people Oh no, I've fallen through the cracks Landed on a camel's back It was the last drink of the Pharaoh's treasure That broke the camel's back I feel like I broke down as your mama Can't even find the words to speak I feel like I broke down as your papa It rained in my cloudy minds all week Congratulations on your engagement One would think that Darren and Graham are matchmakers for their vocation Hopefully your love will last long and you'll have a jubilee anniversary A jubilee anniversary A jubilee anniversary A jubilee anniversary If more of you supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Sure, America. <laughs> America. The blubbity bar. Sending out good vibes.
Thank you.